Welcome to COVID-19, Public Health Policy and Culture. I'm Dr. April Moreno, presenting information from various sources about the COVID-19 pandemic from public health policy and cultural perspectives. We will be sharing international accounts from policy, public health response, and even personal experiences firsthand about living in this era of COVID-19. Welcome to this episode of COVID-19, Public Health, Policy, and Culture. I'm your host, Dr. April Moreno, and today I wanted to wish you a good Mother's Day. Today is the day of the mother in the United States, and also wanted to wish you good health and wellness over there. Hope you're taking good care, practicing all the protective measures. So here in the United States, we are leading the number of cases in the world at the moment, and there's no end in sight at the moment, but continuing to take proactive measures and control our exposure to the virus is really the best way we can take action. So we've seen a lot of reopenings and slow reopenings in different cities and counties in different states. And, you know, they're looking at this as the next stage of response to the virus. I don't think we're ready for that, but... At some point, you do need to go outside and take care of the things that you need to do. So I do appreciate the fact that masks are being required in many locations now. So the mask itself, if it's not an N95, you know, just like a paper mask or a cloth mask, and those are good for helping from spreading virus and disease to other people. Now it's great when everyone else is wearing it too, because then you're protecting other people as well. So it's really helpful in terms of being thoughtful for other people's safety. So when we're all doing that, it makes things so much safer. So I do appreciate the fact that as we're slowly reopening businesses, restaurants, and other places for delivery or for quick short visits into a location for business, that if everyone's wearing a mask, I like to think that there's a lot more safety involved. And I think it's a responsible way to continue to respond to the condition, to the virus, to the pandemic. So today we are talking to the Hawaii Commission on the Status of Women in this episode. We've been working on the month of May on the topic of social justice, health equity, and there's so many upcoming episodes on this topic of health equity. I've got so many great ones ahead. And today we're looking at the status of women. This was a very unusual, I haven't seen anything like it, a feminist economic recovery plan for COVID-19. And this was done in Hawaii, very forward-looking. It's a very creative approach to handling and responding to the pandemic. And I really appreciated this. I was so glad to be able to reach out to the women of the Commission on the Status of Women in Hawaii and to have this great conversation about the needs of the diverse public of women in Hawaii, in the state, and the different islands, and to look at these different trends of what it looks like to do care-based work, and how much it's connected to women, and how much less value it often is given. So looking at that as a feminist recovery strategy is great to hear. There's a lot of conversation in this episode about the ancestors and also being responsible for the next generations. I believe it was like seven to seven to ten generations ahead to look out for everybody as well as the community. There's reference to the diversity of the islands and the state, reference to Native Hawaiians and just the diverse demographics of the location. 
and it was just a really great conversation. So I hope you enjoy it and ideally would love for other women's organizations to design something similar, some feminist economic approach. And in terms of feminism, we're looking often at the approach for equality. We're looking at the approach for equity across genders and also the transgender community, the LGP, LGBTQ, POC, and others in that community. That wide acceptance and that comprehensive plan is what they talk about in this conversation. So I hope you enjoy it and I wish you all the best of care and prevention out there as you move forward into adapting to this era of COVID-19. So you probably are aware by now that we use Anchor.fm here on this podcast for COVID-19 PPC. And I wanted to tell you about Anchor.fm because this is actually the second uh, podcast hosting software I've used. And um, I really like it. I love how easy it is to use. I love the fact that it's free. And they have so many tools here like music and all these different options that help you record and edit your podcast either from your phone or your PC or your computer. And then Anchor distributes your podcast for you so that it can be on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And then also you can even make money from your podcast with minimum, with no minimum listenership. And it's all you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're new to podcasting and you're interested in um, getting started, I recommend Anchor.fm. So what you can do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Um, that's my recommendation. And, um, you know, after almost a year of podcasting, I'm really glad I found Anchor just recently. It just makes things so much easier. And uh, yeah, come check out anchor.fm. Hello and welcome to this episode of COVID-19 Public Health Policy and Culture. Today we're going to be speaking about a very exciting new development out there, a report about women in Hawaii and the status of women during COVID-19. I'm really excited to have this conversation today. And today I introduce to you two women from the Hawaii State Commission on the Status of Women. We have Executive Director Kara Jobola Carolis, and we have Dr. Kealoha Fox here to talk to us about this new report. Welcome, ladies. Aloha. Good morning. Morning and aloha. Thank you so much for being here today. If you could, could you both introduce yourselves to us? Sure. I'm Kealoha Fox, calling in to you, Dr. Moreno, from Hawaii. I live in an old plantation area on the island of Oahu. So it has a significant cultural, environmental, and political history that I think will describe a lot of the different indicators and factors that Kara and I are going to be sharing with you and your audience today. Hi, my name is Kara Jabola Kurulis. I'm the executive director of the Hawaii State Commission on the Status of Women. We're a statewide feminist government agency that has county corollaries across the islands. And we serve as the state's main policy consultant and also information center tracking the status and advancing the status of women, femme-identified and non-binary people in Hawaii. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for being here. How are you both doing at the moment in terms of COVID-19? How are you feeling? This is Kaloha. I mean, I feel, I, I constantly as a, I would self-describe myself as a hyper empath 
And I, every day I can't help but center and remind me of the important kuleana and the responsibility of the work that I do, not only in Hawaii as a servant leader to where my ancestors are from, but the work that I'm able to be a part of nationally and internationally across the continental U.S. and with changemakers around the world that include really other incredible feminist leaders in their organization. So I can't help but just start by recognizing the people that have been severely impacted by the coronavirus and those that are still sick and that I do hope them and their families have a tremendous amount of strength, energy, hope, and healing right now. They're always at the top of my mind, um, including those that are sick and have been impacted by the disease here in Hawaii. I'm feeling similar in, in terms of feeling really, you know, the thing that's keeping me hopeful and energized is the women who are bringing together other women to understand our political connections and to struggle collectively, which I think is really what's getting us through a lot of this. And in particular, the project and organizing that we're doing, Dr. Fox and I, and, and a bigger team. But for me personally, I'm really feeling the feminist mantra, the, the personal is political. I don't think that I want to exude indomitable strength right now. I think that it's okay to talk about the strain on us personally. I think that it's it feels really unbearable right now, even though I know I have the luxury of being at home and the privilege of being at home. I think that that still doesn't negate the fact that it's very oppressive for women in the home right now with our caregiving responsibilities and expectations and the sexism that makes those. And then our work duties, which have gone in double time. So it's really hard personally, but it's also, thankfully, I have sisters like Dr. Fox who are organizing with us so we don't have to do everything by ourselves and alone. When Car and I get to speak and we get to work together over the past couple of years, I come with a lens as a biomedical scientist and a practitioner and an advocate that really values what it looks like to meaningfully engage the sectors of public health policy with a strong cultural foundation. So when we're talking about what's the change that we want to see? What's this vision and action plan for not only navigating this space in this time right now while Hawaii is still under stay-at-home quarantine orders, but what does it look like as there are already discussions that Hawaii is, say, a phase one area that can start to systematically come out of those orders? I always think first about our Medicaid program in Hawaii. So one in four people in Hawaii are Medicaid members, and of those, a large proportion of Native Hawaiian women, infants, and children do express severe economic oppressions that have been systemic over multiple generations. So in our own self-ability to respond, I think we have an entire team and we have great collaborations and partnerships like Cara mentioned, where we're able to work together pretty seamlessly and bring our strengths, whether that's clinical and policy, like we're talking about today, and we're able to activate those policy and clinical changes and what they can really look like on the ground here for our people and the residents that don't always have a voice and place at the table. I think I've brought the most perfect interviewees today. This conversation is so in line and in connection with the theme of this podcast. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing this message. When I ask about how you're doing, 
it is so connected to community. It is so beautiful to hear this and how you mentioned, Kara, that the personal is political. And Dr. Fox, as you mentioned, this focus on the community, the health of the community and supporting others and how the health and wealth of the community is connected to your identity as an individual. I think this is so beautiful. And I am so excited to hear more about the background and the story about this report that you've put together, a feminist economic recovery plan for COVID-19. Could you please share with us a little bit more about this report and some of the accomplishments along the way, things that have been going well. This is Kara. I am really proud of what we pulled off in an unbelievable window of time. So this report started because the state moved really rapidly to start to rebuild the economy and open those conversations, but they were missing huge swaths of our communities, in particular individuals, organizers, women experts and advocates who are fluent in the everyday struggles of women, and in particular Native Hawaiian women and immigrant women um, and women of color generally. And so we could not let these conversations advance, seeing the response already leave out women in some pretty significant ways without ensuring that our communities were represented. And so we had a team that is, I think, really cohesive and politically aware of the context as well of what's going on here. And so we drafted an economic recovery plan that centers women, that centers Native rights, that centers a gender analysis and marginalized group. And we want to make sure that this can be a tool that's utilized by policymakers and decision makers at all levels. And so this, as much as it is a document, it's also a living, breathing, organizing effort. And I also want to make reference, I didn't mention the first half of the title, but I love the beginning of this title, Building Bridges, Not Walking on Backs, as some of us from a more multicultural or uh, feminist and even critical race theory approach, we're familiar with Gloria Anzaldúa, this bridge called My Back, and I'm guessing that is the reference that you're making in some way connecting to this title. Yes. Yes, it is. You know, a lot of us stand on those shoulders and we know which shoulders we stand on. And so it was most definitely a nod to her and the movements that we are continuing. Thanks for catching. I think that just that detail in and of itself, I hope brings about what we call in Hawaiian culture, the kauna and the layers of meaning that we are doing what we say and we're saying what we do. That those are mutually exclusive ways to talk about the actions, but also to make sure that the actions and the process by which we are presenting them are embodying those values and those core principles like women leaders, like feminist leaders that we have all read and we've gone to their speeches and we really look up to. So we've used that in our own processing. And I think when we talk about our Hawaii State Commission on the Status of Women and the Hawaii Feminist COVID-19 Response Team, what we're already talking about as a group is our ability to process that when we reference Hawaii, it's an incredibly multicultural and intercultural place. And that's based off of the 19th and 20th century missionary and plantation eras. So when our group comes together, we don't have to start from the very beginning of the basics and the 101s, right? 
our group is already so ma'atu and we're already so fluid in having those conversations that acknowledge and meaningfully engage those topics of trauma and violence that we can move beyond them and we can see a future that looks at healing, that looks at strength and looks at resilience. I was on a call yesterday with the Hawaii Leadership Forum and our Smallify team and what we were discussing is just that. It's these types of teams that come together and we process beyond our old assumptions. For example, I think many of us, we work in these spaces where it's grassroots organizing or nonprofit organizations where you're often told that these resources are constrained, right? And so we always worry about how are our programs or how are these projects going to sustain themselves after a two-year, three-year, five-year grant cycle and not be limited by those financial or time-bound resource constraints. Well, now it turns out we see this, we see multiple versions of stimulus planning being made around the country in Hawaii and around the world. And it turns out that we're actually not as resource constrained as we thought we were. And there is a financial feasibility and that places like Hawaii are going to have these resources to seriously address the complexities of what's going on and how can we prevent this say in the future and then how can we meaningfully intervene for everyone in the now and I think that's such an important part of the the matter of bringing principles will and our core values into what we do so for me I'm so excited by the response for the Feminist Economic Recovery Plan for COVID-19 because it provides that rationale for consultation and meaningful engagement and diversity and leadership that move us beyond the gaps and disparities and brings us to a place for hope and racial justice and health equity that us and our team, we live and breathe that in our work every day. And this isn't new to us. It's a silver lining to this incredibly tragic opportunity that we still have to make sure that we plan for, not just for this generation, but for seven and 10 generations after that, because that's that trauma from the 19th and 20th century that we're still trying to work through and find healing for today. Yeah, Dr. Fox really captured that so beautifully in terms of the group, even though we're operating in a context that is really based on the opposite principles, we are trying to model praxis through the process. And the recommendations that came out of that hopefully reflect the process that we are engaging in. And so some of those key recommendations were structured around questions that I think every nation, not just state, is grappling with. Mm -hmm. So one, we're in the hole. How do we get out of that hole? Whose backs do we walk on? Do we need to walk on backs to do that? We talked about macroeconomic policy and what is wise during a time like this and what we will support and not support. So no cuts, no furloughs, no austerity. And why? Why those are unwise decisions and policies at this time. The next question was, if there is funding, where does it go? How is that funding prioritized? And the last two were about, we are going to stimulate the economy and get out of a recession. How are we going to do that? Or how should we do that? What jobs should we focus on? Should it just be about job creation and business as usual and restoring that, that system? Or should we look to diversifying the economy and reorienting our economy to something that's more genuinely resilient and sustainable? And so those are the umbrellas that we discussed. And some of the key points were instead of 
this rush to focus on traditional male sectors, construction, trades, green jobs, which are really euphemisms for male heavy and particularly white male heavy, in some cases, sectors. We want to make sure that we're also focusing on what's holding us together right now by a thread, which is our care infrastructure, health care, child care, elder care, maternal care, all of these important, important systems that we have just let completely go to the wayside because we're not investing in women and women's needs and counteracting systemic sexism. That's just the overview of some of the content. Dr. Fox, if you want to weigh in more on um, recommendations. Yeah, so what's really great in that the reference to the process and the praxis that our group has brought together is we have developed a team that has multiple different expertise areas. So in the recommendations that you see, it is a plan for action, but it's also a visionary document that we have all co-created in what is a really short amount of time that we've been given to present this to special committees in our state. So we have been having these conversations around universal health coverage and circular economies and disaggregated data. We as a group and the networks that we represent and the organizations that we spend our time in, we want to see more plans that value social entrepreneurship, a livable minimum wage, what sustainability in Hawaii looks like based off of what it looked like in a traditional past and era of an environmental ecosystem that was based in reciprocity and abundance, right? We, at the same time, we are not willing to ignore that there are still tremendously high rates, not just in Hawaii, but across the country and around the world, where gender-based violence and sexual violence and mass incarceration are a part of these traumatic systems that constantly are at play and they take up a significant amount of resources. And like Cara had said, they're taking away from the core services like healthcare and childcare and elder care. We don't want to continue to invest into a system that mass incarcerates Native Hawaiians and over-incarcerates women, which is what we see in Hawaii. We want to really look at these special funds and infrastructure to help high-risk groups that are often erased when these action plans and visionary documents are created. Can you tell us a little bit more about the COVID-19 landscape at the moment in terms of health outcomes? What are you seeing in Hawaii? Well, I'll start. Um, this is Kaloha because I work in healthcare. Like I said, I work in a managed care organization and our only two lines of business are Medicaid and Medicare. We don't have a commercial line of business and we don't make money off of sick care, right? So the landscape in Hawaii for the COVID-19 pandemic is actually catching up to where we have been for the past decade. And that's where public health and public infrastructure has been heavily underfunded and in many of our minds has been heavily undervalued. Mm -hmm. And so when folks maybe compare our positive case rates or our death rates to other places, they might say, oh, well, you guys don't have these high rates, so you're on a lower level of risk or you're on a lower level of priority. But what's happening right now is we're simultaneously seeing those systemic fractures coming to the forefront. Karin, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think right now we've already reached a 23% unemployment rate mm. in Hawaii, which is catastrophic mm. to 
people like we are trying to center, Native Hawaiians, Pacific Islanders, Kofa migrants, immigrants, single women who are victims of sexual and domestic violence. This is a part of what we have to look at for the entire holistic impact of what the pandemic means. And I think sometimes we're just a little bit too narrow in our opportunities in the media or in planning documents to just look at those positive cases when the compounded impacts of that are far greater. This is Cara again. I see too, one of the weaknesses is the lack of you know, a strong women's movement and what that is exposing in terms of healthcare and healthcare access, particular to women's needs across the islands. And you know, for Hawaii, we also have a unique geography as well as unique populations and their needs. And so for us, we've seen abortion access, for example, dwindle even before the crisis, and now access is even further restricted. And so because of the unique features of COVID-19 and some of the edicts that have come out, like an inter-island travel quarantine, that creates another barrier combined with already high gender barriers and class and racial barriers to this care for women. We see right now more women who are probably not ideal candidates for home birth, seeking out home birth because they don't have access again to hospitals or because they are fearful of hospitals and the high risk of infection for infants. So the fact that we don't have a well-supported midwifery and birth care system is really showing up right now in a scary way. Again, the access to reproductive health is a concern. We know that Planned Parenthood is still operating as much as they can, but these are just two areas, I think for women in particular in Hawaii, that could become even bigger aftershocks. I think that helps us bring to the forefront that our group is considering health impacts through a social determinants of health lens, where not only are we tracking the positive cases and containment in certain neighborhoods and geographies, right, because we're spread across eight major islands that folks know about, that is a part of a much more extensive archipelago. But when we look at specific islands, and these are already designated as medically underserved, right? These are already rural communities that were experiencing tremendous barriers as part of the social determinants of health. Ability to access healthy local foods that aren't shipped in has long been a problem for our food sustainability movement. We know the repercussions of that. And we know where the upticks are when it comes to high rates of chronic disease and chronic conditions. What we're looking at from that healthcare lens is especially the high rates of those in Hawaii that have pre-existing conditions. And that work has long been a part of how do we want to eliminate health disparities? What does population and disease management really look like? And how do we move into an era for health equity that values all of these, whether we're talking about reproductive justice or another member of our group is helping us understand that many of our shelters are full right now. And so people don't have a place to necessarily go that they can receive these support services and these resources. The resources have already been constrained and strained, and now this pandemic has really put a spotlight on particular areas of where we need to invest more of our time and our energy and care. So this report is very unique. It's one, I haven't seen anything else like it. Having this more of a focus on women and the economy and also 
the response to COVID-19, looking at these needs in terms of losses of jobs in these care industries. And I'm so appreciative that I was able to find you and to learn about this report. How are you maintaining your own sense of self-care during this time? I am not going to be the first to go on this. (laughs) I'll go first. I, as a practitioner, it's really important that we, especially as feminist advocates, we have to have our own practices for self-care and wellness. And they definitely occur in peaks and valleys, and they may not always get to be consistent on certain days or certain weeks or certain times of the year, right? Because when you do policy work, it's very seasonal, And so sometimes our self-care and our our wellness strategies might dip. But for me, I've really been trying to lean into that for myself um, because these are long days. They're emotional, they're draining, and we're talking about real people. We're not just talking about numbers. So I have found just a lot of strength from my own cultural foundation and my own cultural training in my family in traditional Hawaiian medicine and traditional Hawaiian health, where I'm able to look around myself and around my family and around my son at signs for abundance and that the environmental signs are really helping point us to a future that is truly, it's this vision that we want to see for healthy people, healthy places and healthy futures is really possible. And that's always what I take with me. This is so random, but I keep seeing pigs. We call them pua'a. I keep seeing pigs everywhere. We just had a pig in our backyard on Saturday night. And though I do live in a rural area, it's not common that you see pigs in a neighborhood, right? Because of cars and people are riding bikes. But now the pigs are able to walk in peace in these lands that they have always lived on. Like that to me, I find so much strength for my own resolve to keep going into the next day just by seeing them able to be a part and be attuned to their own land and their own environment. And so I just, I really hope that other people can find ways that these small signs throughout the day can energize them and keep them going. Because I know we have to prioritize our own self-care to do this work. And the community that is relying on us really needs us to be there for the long haul. We really do need to plan out for seven to 10 generations in the future. And so we as advocates and clinicians, we can't burn out. The movement really needs us. And so self-care is paramount to that longevity. I was very inspired by that. I'm coming from a darker place, coming out of a baby year. So COVID hit right when I thought I was gonna come up for air after almost a year with an infant, marking almost a year of giving birth to my second child. And doing that without without the support system for moms, we know it's not there because we live and work in places that are built around absent fathers. And that is the standard. And that is the employee um, that everyone considers for. And so this was hard to be hit with a crisis right now. And for me, I feel like I'm just holding my breath and self-care will come later. I absolutely don't follow my own advice. I am guilty of everything that Dr. Fox just warned us against. But with having the only respite being your partner, and then that partner, because my partner happens to be a man, he still has to keep up with the expectations of not having caregiving. And so without 
somebody who can do a lot of caregiving. I think a lot of women are struggling right now to do self-care, although we're better at help speaking, which I'm grateful for, because I know that I turn to my friends a lot, and that's really the best outlet that I have right now. I'm knitting a scarf. I don't know if that counts. That's all I got. So the activism is keeping me going. I know though that I will need to come up and have a breather pretty soon. Taking that time for rest and restoration can be helpful. And then the next question I have for you both is, what does the world need to know? What message do you have to share at this time? This is Keloha. I'll go first so that I want to really acknowledge Kara as the executive director on the Hawaii State Commission on the Status of Women and our feminist COVID response team and let her have the final point because she's really been this mainstay and this leader for us to anchor this vision and a call to action. Um, so I just really want to mahalo her and advocates and voices like you, Dr. Moreno, that are allowing women to share their vision in a way that allows us to still be courageous, but at the same time, it allows us to be introspective. And I think that has a lot to do with the way we manage this pandemic because we are not out of the woods yet. This is not over. We're not all of a sudden going to be able to say, everybody can come out of their stay-at-home quarantine orders. This is likely going to happen in waves. And this, we know scientifically for a fact, is not going to be the last viral pandemic that the world sees. So what we learn now has a huge stake for our ability to respond to the future. So my last word that I would just like to share with the world around COVID management and the way in which we're operating is that when we triangulate public health policy and culture, we can absolutely ensure women, girls, and people who identify as women, including trans women, and those who identify as femme, non-binary, and gender fluid, Mm -hmm. that they are meaningfully engaged in what that management system, what those response actions, and what a recovery plan looks like. And that is paramount for us to envision a future not based on the backs and across those that have long been oppressed, but it's really towards us advancing and building new bridges into a future that maybe some have yet to be able to see, but we're going to help them build that bridge so that they can, they can start to see the light and so that maybe they can be informed and they can be educated on a positive potential for a future that they didn't maybe yet know about. That was such a good rallying cry. I don't even want to add anything too much to that because it was so good. I mean, I guess I can just do a plug for all of us at the end. Women deserve our own space and our own movement. And right now, circumstances are forcing the world to see all that we do every day in a way that hasn't happened for a long time. And so I would encourage everyone, especially the women who may be listening, to join us, to demand a different future. So we cannot go back to the system that brought us here. And so please check out our feminist economic recovery. It is a, you know, really beautiful living blueprint going forward. And so you can visit us individually on our different social media, but also at the Status of Women Hawaii on Instagram, Twitter, and our website and Facebook. We'd love to connect. And also we welcome criticisms, additions, feedback, and analysis. So thanks again. Thank you so much. I love this report. I love the theme. I love the story about how this came about. And I love where this is going to be going to support the communities for longer term sustainability and growth. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, mahalo, mahalo nui pakahiapo.
Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions, any burning questions about COVID-19, feel free to send me a message in Anchor. Anchor.fm slash COVID-19 PPC is our website. And until next time, stay well and take good care out there.